Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey there, welcome to the podcast. Today we are talking with Wes Barton, who's the co-founder and managing partner of Third Prime. That's at thirdprime.vc. This is an awesome conversation. Wes is a farmer turned lawyer, turned investor, started angel investing in 2010, raised his first fund in 2016. And now Third Prime is, sounds like, based on the podcast, you'll hear some of this killing it out in New York. And just really enjoyed this conversation. We talk a little bit about how Wes got started. We talk a lot about what it looks like to run a, a deal process through Third Prime. Uh, some of the things that they're looking for with entrepreneurs and companies and kind of the do's and don'ts. And some of it's a little bit technical, some of it's not. I hope you that you enjoy that. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you, you know that that's a little bit about what I do. But just a, a great conversation. Hopefully, you'll find a lot of value in it. If you do, hit Wes up on Twitter. He leaves his uh, Twitter handle in the end. I think it's from memory. I think it's uh, farmer underscore VC. And give him some feedback, uh, letting him know what you thought. Uh, that would mean a lot to me, and I think it'd mean a lot to him. Thanks so much for listening. If you happen to be looking for a way to ignite your brand, spark some sales, or maybe just fire up your team, branded merchandise might be the way to do that. You can learn more about different items that are available to put your logo on at fuelmerchandise.com. It can be simple startup swag, corporate gifts, anything you're looking for. You can find it at fuelmerchandise.com. Mention startup competitors, get 10% off your first order. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Wes Barton, who's the co-founder and managing partner of Third Prime. Wes, welcome. Hey, Mike. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Why don't we start with a quick pitch for Third Prime? Tell us what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, Third Prime, we're a, a venture capital firm based out of New York City. We are focused on, you know, the earliest stages. So we invest, you know, primarily at the seed stage, um, although we do some Series A, uh, you know, investing as well. You know, what that means to folks that, that might not be as familiar with the nomenclature, you know, we're, we're, we're typically investing in companies that are quite young. You know, in most cases, they will be, you know, generating some revenue that, that's, you know, probably going to be, you know, fairly nominal. And, you know, they're, they're probably looking to raise, you know, anywhere from two to five million dollars uh, at the time of our investment. We are a lead investor. And, um, you know, so what that means is, you know, we're, we're going to execute a term sheet, you know, likely put in, you know, at least half the round. Uh, sometimes, you know, could, could be, you know, sort of 75 percent of the, the, the round. Um, look to build a, you know, a good syndicate alongside us that can also help, uh, you know, help the company. We're probably going to end up taking a board seat. And then doing all we can to, to get, you know, aligned with, with the company to achieve, you know, milestones and, and, and so forth that need to be accomplished over the next 12 to 24 months before we, uh, you know, raise the next, next round or the company would raise the next round of capital. Um, you know, as far as what type of companies we invest in, Mike, we are uh, industry agnostic. You know, really what we're looking, to, you know, looking for, you know, fantastic entrepreneurs, large addressable markets. Um, you know, differentiated products and services that we think, you know, have, have unique attributes that, that are going to allow the company to, to achieve meaningful market share. You know, while, while we are agnostic to industry, we've done a, you know, uh, a meaningful amount of investing in, in fintech. Uh, we've also done, you know, a fair amount in prop tech and increasingly healthcare as well. I, I love it. 
uh, it's a great place to start. I, I, I'm super curious, would love to hear maybe just super quick, a little bit about your background and why did you decide to do third prime? Yeah. Yeah. Mike, it's, it's funny. I like the joke that I'm the first uh, farmer turned venture capitalist. I grew up on a, a little farm uh, in, in rural Kentucky. You might, you might notice my Southern accent here, uh, despite living in New York 20 years, I, I've maintained it. You know, I started actually as a, as, a, as a lawyer. So that's, that's what took me to New York. I was an M&A lawyer practicing the Skadden Arps in the city for several years, representing a lot of private equity funds, and, you know, hedge funds. Um, ended up leaving the law and, and started investing in the public markets and sort of later, later stage private markets, um, you know, working with a hedge fund and, and, you know, private equity fund for a while. And, you know, while, uh, you know, while doing, uh, you know, that, that investing really recognized that I thought that there was a great opportunity, you know, to back, you know, entrepreneurs at the earliest stages. I could also see as an asset class, I thought venture capital was, was really going to be increasingly attracting capital, saw technology, you know, sort of, you know, moving from sort of just, you know, sort of vertical, uh, you know, sort of, sort of industry to, to, you know, something that was much more pervasive and, and sort of growing horizontal and impacting, you know, all industries. So, so I felt like sort of investing in technology and, and that type of disruption was going to be, you know, something that had a lot of legs to it and, you know, could be, could be quite lucrative. And so, you know, started uh, effectively angel investing uh, back in 20, you know, 2010, um, had developed a nice track record along with, uh, you know, my partner who launched Third Prime with me. You know, we, we parlayed that angel track record into, uh, you know, Third Prime. And today, you know, Third Prime's got about $100 million, you know, under management. We've invested in 35 companies. All right. I have so many questions based on that. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, I, I am also very, very minor hobby farmer. Oh, wow. So, so that, that's super interesting. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I, I am also an angel investor. So I, I'm, I'm just take my own little guilty pleasure moment here. Can you talk a little bit about that transition from just angel investing in a couple of deals to a hundred million dollar fund. Like how does that, it, maybe in the big Duplo blocks version, how does that unfold? You know, so, so to be honest, you Mike started sort of investing off, off my own balance sheet just because I felt like there was, you know, a sort of great, you know, asymmetric risk reward in some of these opportunities that I was seeing. Um, cobbled together uh, special purpose vehicles. So, so the first deal we did, you know, put $800,000 into it. So it was, you know, some of my money and, and just sort of friends and family and folks that, that you know, thought uh, that, that it was an interesting, you know, sort of, uh, investment opportunity. Um, you know, really, uh, you know, had good fortune on that first investment. That eight hundred thousand dollars became nearly eight million in, in two and a half years. So, so sort of great <laughs> cash on cash return. And um, yeah, you know, did, didn't know. If, you know, frankly, I was I was lucky or good at that point. But uh, you know, certainly wanted to wanted to keep trying. And um, so, so took the you know the proceeds from that first investment, rolled them into to several other investments that did quite well. And really, you know, sort of leverage that track record to show that, that you know, my partner and I, we, we could source deals, we could diligence deals, We're basically, you know, sort of investing behind, you know, sort of the same you know, hypothesis we have today that, you know, uh, folks need more than capital. You know, the good opportunities, you know, don't have you know, much trouble attracting capital. It's, it's, you know, sort of, you know, capital that, that can, you know, uh, you know, br- bring more to the table. And so, you know, we were taking board seats. We're really trying to work, you know, hard on, on behalf of those companies to help them achieve success. And, um, you know, we, we sort of acted as angel investors about five years. And in 2016, when we raised our first fund. You know, those entrepreneurs acted as great champions of ours in the fundraising process. You know, those folks that had come into those, uh, you know, individual deals, obviously, um, you know, were, were sort of, uh, you know, foundational investors for us, made a lot of, you know, important introductions for us. And, uh, you know, sort of the rest is history. But, uh, you know, it's no, no shortcuts that I've found here. You know, obviously, you, you got to just sort of chip away at it. You really have to, 
uh, you know, try to, you know, try, try to do best to sort of, you know, for, for the entrepreneurs, for, uh, you know, for the folks that you're investing in money to try to report, uh, you know, often and, and, you know, honestly, uh, with respect to what's going right, and, you know, in some cases, what's, what's not going so right. And, uh, you know, sort of building that trust. And, you know, we, we, we feel like, you know, we were fortunate to sort of wade into this market you know, pretty early. Uh, it was very sort of different landscape, frankly, in 2010 than it is today. There, there are a lot more angel investors out there. There are a lot more venture firms being formed today. Um, the landscape's quite competitive. And, and, and so, like I said, it's, you know, it, it's really what else can you bring to the table? You know, we, we you know, did a deal uh, or signed a term sheet just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It was highly competitive. And, you know, fortunately, we were able to introduce that entrepreneur to a lot of other entrepreneurs we'd worked with. And, uh, you know, sort of, we're able to sort of beat out some other fantastic firms there to, to win that deal. But it's um, it's it's an exciting landscape. There, there's there's you know tremendous opportunity, but you know increasingly there's a lot of competition as well. And way at the start of that, you said uh, special purpose vehicle. I'm assuming that's just a simple LLC that you put together for friends and family, no two and twenty or anything on top of it. Just uh, just a way to get everybody on the cap table, right? Is that, is that right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, early on, it's just trying to, you know, pull the capital together. Certainly didn't have, uh, you know, an ability at that point to, to take management fees or, or promote on it, um, as, you, as you alluded to. We did start uh, promoting those investors after, you know, we, we kind of got into our fourth or fifth deal. We, we, you know, starting to be able to show, hey, look, you know, we, we can actually make you a lot of money here. And people are sort of willing to, you know, to pay us fees to go out and sort of do the work. But, um, uh, you know, earliest days, absolutely. It was just, you know, trying to get, you know, people that, uh, that would come alongside us, put some capital, you know, into, into a deal and, and, you know, let us, let us start doing some work and, and trying to build that track record. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that diversion. Okay. So uh, let's go back to, to third prime today. I'd love to hear what is an entrepreneur's experience. So from the moment they kind of reach out to you to the, to the point that you decide to, to fund and, and put money in their bank account, can, can you walk us through that at a high level? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Um, so you know, while, while look, every process is is going to be you know slightly different. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you sort of the you know the broad strokes the way most of them go. You know, first and foremost, we, we try to be respectful of of the entrepreneurs. We, we recognize that that you know fundraising is is diverting them from the job of running the business, which um, you know most of these entrepreneurs are, are working just you know incredible hours, seven days a week in, in many cases, and so it's. It's hard, you know, even when you're not fundraising. So, so you know, first off, we're going to try to be respectful of that process. And if we, we look at, you know, just hundreds of deals every year, and you know, as I, as I mentioned before, um, you know, we've only invested in 35 companies going all the way back to 2010. So, so most, um, you know, most invest, you know, most companies we see are not going to get, you know, sort of an investment from third prime. So, so we do our best to try to. Um, you know, quickly get to, you know, to know and not sort of string folks along to the extent that, um, you know, that, that, that we, uh, you know, re- realize, you know, that, that it's unlikely to, to result in uh, an investment. So, um, you know, there are a lot of quick no's, you know, I would say, you know, maybe it's, you know, 90, you know, 90% of the, you know, sort of deals will sort of get cut after that first phone call. So that's the way it usually starts, you know, an entrepreneur will, will email us an investor deck and probably synopsis of sort of what they're doing. You know, to the extent that, that we, we think it you know, could be a fit, we'll, we'll take that phone call. Usually those are going to be you know, 30, 45 minutes just to kind of get an overview of uh, the entrepreneur and sort of their vision, the product, the market. Yeah, sort of walking you through that funnel. Sorry, I, I'm jumping around here. You know, we get a lot of emails, thousands of emails sort of coming to you know, our collective inboxes. Um, you know, I'd say we're probably going to end up doing something you know, like uh, you know, 300 calls, uh, initial calls uh, each year. 
Um, I would say that, you know, first call moves into a second call, you know, probably, you know, 20% of the time. Um, you know, once we do that second call, it's usually going to be... Uh, Wait, all right, stop, because I, kn- I know we'll never get back to it. So I, I apologize. But w- what is going to get me eliminated in that first call? I, I'm just not a good... Turns out I'm, I'm not at the right state. I'm not far enough along. I'm, I'm not in the right industry, maybe. Like, what, yeah. what, what's my disqualification criteria? Yeah, great, great question. So, so we're trying, you know, we're trying not to even get you on the phone, Mike, if, if we feel like that there's not going to be a fit. So usually that introductory email that you might send to us, we're going to get a sense of, you know, okay, are, are you generating revenue? Are you too early? Are you too late? You know, are you in this industry that, that we've actually got, you know, some interest in? Does it look like that, that there could be something here that, that could result in an investment? So, so we're trying to, you know, create as much of a screen as we can, you know, before even jumping on the phone. You know, we don't want to waste your time. We don't want to waste our own. So now we get to the phone call, right? What we're doing there is really trying to understand, uh, you know, are, are you a missionary or are you a mercenary, right? That is sort of one of the more <laughs> great to think about, right? It's, it's, it's very, very difficult to be an entrepreneur. You know, like I just said, it's competitive in venture capital. It's even more competitive right out there. It's not very, very few sort of landscapes that you don't have just sort of multiple folks sort of vying for the prize. Um, and, and they're just, they're, they're easier ways to make money than, than to you know, become an entrepreneur and try to start a company. So, so we really, you know, want to try to dial in on, you know, what, what's, what's driving, you know, that entrepreneur is, is it something that's just, you know, keeping them up at night? Uh, there's just, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they can't get away from, you know, the fact that they've got to solve this problem. They've got to provide this service for some you know, from underserved community or whatever it might be. So, you know, at the outset, we're really trying to just vet that entrepreneur. And a lot of it is, okay, do they have just, you know, tremendous passion, uh, you know, for, for this problem? Second to that is, do they have a unique vision? Right. So, so a lot of people that, that are willing to sort of work hard and really have a burning desire. But you know, do you have some insight? You know, do, do you have some type of founder market fit that that would you know suggest that, that, you know, you might be able to crack the code in a way that just, you know, frankly, others haven't. So that's something that we're spending time on. You know, is there charisma? Are you eloquent? Can you can you you know sort of tell the story? Because, you know, not only are you going to have to convince us, you know, to, to you know, uh, uh, make an investment, but you're going to have to recruit a team. You know, you're going to have to sell to customers. That, that entrepreneur early on is wearing multiple hats. And so, you know, they, if they aren't going to be the one that's out there sort of, you know, doing the, you know, the recruiting because they don't have, you know, tremendous, you know, charisma or, you know, can't sell the customer. Is there a co-founder perhaps that's going to be able to sort of, you know, uh, serve in that role? So, so we look at the entirety of the founding team to sort of see if they're checking you know, sort of all the, the requisite boxes, if you will. Um, you know, once we get comfortable around that entrepreneur, then we'll start to look at, you know, from the market, you know, is it sizable? You know, as a venture capitalist, we're, we're looking to invest in businesses that if all goes right, you know, they can be worth millions of dollars. So if we feel like that there's a lower ceiling on something, you know, maybe the market is just smaller or, or sort of the serviceable market is just, you know, uh, of a nature that you're probably not going to be able to get, you know, uh, much, you know, beyond $100 million, you know, sort of in, in equity value, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a pretty quick pass for us. How, how, how often is that the case? I'm only so I'm curious because I I get the feeling maybe this isn't true. I I feel like we see more smaller deals like that maybe located where we are in the Midwest than I feel like you might see out where you are. But I but maybe that's just a false assumption and that, that's the case everywhere because it's really hard to get to billion dollar outcomes and and you know. But is that a common? disqualification criteria or is it not so much? You know, it is, it is Mike, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we sort of, 
done this long enough now to, to recognize that, that, you know, sort of companies sort of twist and turn and, you know, what, what might start as a, a smaller, you know, market, you know, is actually just serving as a wedge into a larger market. So, so we try to be thoughtful about it and, and not, you know, just, just sort of come at it, uh, you know, myopically. We, we recognize that, that, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot that, you know, that, that can change. You know, I, I think, frankly, it's probably not as, as much of a hard cut and eliminate as many companies as you might think. Again, and perhaps it's probably because we're giving them the benefit of the doubt that, that you know, these markets could evolve. And, and just because the market might not be large today, there could be some, you know, sort of tailwinds or sort of macro factors going on that could really, you know, sort of impact the size of that market, you know, in, in five to 10 years, which again, uh, when we invest, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have seven, eight, nine, ten year holds, you know, on these investments. So, you know, not not that we can predict the future, but we try to be thoughtful about that. So that that's, you know, I, I, you know, for us, frankly, that that's not sort of the you know the the, the cut uh, around from that addressable market as often as you might think. Got it. Perfect. Keep going. Yeah. So so then we're gonna. You know, I mentioned team, you know, sort of the, you know, the, the, the TAM, the total addressable market. We're also going to start to think about traction. And, and so, you know, there, there have been cases where we're effectively investing in a, a guy or gal and, and an idea sort of on the back of a napkin. But that, that's, that's, that's certainly an anomaly. You know, usually for us, you know, they're going to, like I said, have some revenue. There's going to be some product market fit. We really believe that, you know, that there are a lot of folks out there that, that, you know, can tell a great story that are really, really smart, that, that have, you know, sort of a big vision. But, you know, can you execute, right? It, it's, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's uh, you find folks that just sort of can't, you know, can't push the product out the door. Right or, or can't um, you know can't get that customer sold? So so we really like you know sort of that that validation that you actually have landed you know a few customers um, that you got a bit of that product market fit you know that we can sort of be more speed up capital that, that you know uh, we, we can sort of help you come in sort of figure out what's working and, and sort of put more dollars behind that to help build out the team and, and sort of, you know go you know go after that market more aggressively. So really sort of team TAM and traction I would say are sort of the three buckets that we're really trying to sort of dial in there on the first call. Love it. Okay. So then 20% of them make it to call number two to talk me through that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's a hard part of the job. I wouldn't say that 80% of the folks, you know, are underwhelming. I mean, if anything, 80% are, 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 you know, sort of very, um, uh, impressive, but you know, we, uh, we, we have to pick our spots, right? We, um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity costs for us, and we certainly don't get them all right. But you know, we're, we're really, you know, at any given point in time, there's probably ten deals that we're looking at. And, you know, we're, we're trying to sort of figure out what's sort of sitting at the top of the board and what's middle of the pack and lower. And, and as I said, yeah, can I? I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but um, there's a just a couple of things that are occurring to me that are just super interesting based on your earlier story. So that like that discipline that you have now that you're managing. A hundred million dollar fund, and your which, you know, part of that discipline, I, I'm sure, also comes because you're you're treating it like somebody else's money, right? You have discipline around the way that you're approaching it. Contrast that to all the way back in 2010 when you were just getting started with angel investing. Did you did you still have that same discipline back then? Like, or is that something you had to develop over time? When you first started, did you want to invest in every deal, or did did you already at that time? Have the discipline to say, nope. I know how the I know how the numbers work here. I need to run a process. I'm only going to invest in deals that fit this kind of criteria. What's different between now and then? Yeah, no. Uh, you know, look, I, I often think about how sort of my investing sort of methodologies have, have changed. You know, over the years, and, and if I had to, to go back to, to 2010, 
I would say, uh, you know, that very first deal was was very much sort of, you know, if I did distill it down, it was, you know, bet the jockey, not the horse, right? You probably heard that term and, and you know, trying yeah. to find the best entrepreneurs I could and, you know, not give, you know, quite as much, uh, you know, thought to, to how good the horse might be. I'd say where, where I've come out is that a great jockey, you know, the best of jockeys, you know, can, can build businesses. You, you see it all, all, all the time, you know, folks probably in your community that build, you know, business worth 50, $100 million. But, you know, as I touched on before, if you're really going to try to crack the code and build something that it's going to be worth billions of dollars, frankly, you've got to have a great jockey and a great horse. Um, and I'd say, you know, that the evolution for me is, is, has been to recognize that it's very multifaceted when, when you think about, you know, what, what has to, you know, what has to work, what has to sort of come together here. So, so you got to have you know, certainly a fantastic jockey, a few set parlance, but you also have to have just a, a, a fantastic horse. And so we're really trying to look, at, you know, to, to, to solve for both of those. And, and it's difficult. You know, we, we, we try to do a meaningful amount of diligence. We, we try to be sort of as analytical as we can about this at the early stages that that can be, you know, frankly, quite difficult. But, but we do try to, uh, you know, sort of really run it through uh, a bit of a sort of, you know, programmatic sort of set, set of, uh, you know, sort of models that, that we build over time. What, you know, what works, what doesn't, you know, and, and try to you know, sort of score these, you know, these opportunities as well as we can. You know, again, it's it's still very much a work in process. I think that uh, you know we, we constantly evolve here and uh, and adapt. Got it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Sure. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. So let let's keep going down that kind of that that journey for the for the entrepreneur. So second screening call, what's happening there? Yeah, at that point, you know, it might be me or one of my colleagues that's done the first call. Uh, usually, just going to be one of us on the phone for for the first one. Uh, by the second call, you're probably going to get you know the entirety of the firm, um, or, or if not, you know, close to it. You know, as I said before constantly trying to be mindful and respectful of the, of the entrepreneur's time. So to the extent that you've, you know, sort of made it through the, you know, the email screen and the first call screen, you know, it's something that we're, uh, you know, we're, we're heavily considering by the second call. So, so we will come into that with, you know, sort of more uh, specific line of questioning that they'll speak to sort of the product and, and the market and, and sort of what's differentiated and, and whatnot and sort of, sort of trying to, you know, sort of come at it from, from multiple different angles. And, uh, you know, my colleagues and I, you know, we're, we're of different backgrounds and you know i think a lot of us sort of attack things from from different angles so you know, that, that's probably going to be about an hour um we will have tried to, to you know sort of gotten up the curve a bit um you know in advance of that call to know a little bit more about the competitive landscape to you know to sort of really spend time with you know with the deck and um you know and, and sort of what's going on in that market and, and um you know assuming that, that that call goes well you know, pre-COVID, we would have, you know, been been inviting that entrepreneur and probably some other members of, you know, uh, the senior uh, leadership team into our office. Uh, again, we would have been doing, you know, a meaningful amount of diligence between, you know, sort of the second call and that meeting. You know, if the if in-office meeting or today, you know, sort of the third, you know, the third meeting is also going to be on Zoom. You know, if that goes well, 
Um, you know, we are probably at that point, you know, starting to talk to the other key employees. We're probably starting to ask to, to speak to some customers to better understand sort of how, how they, you know, have, have been working, you know, with, with the uh, respective company, um, how they still receive the competitive landscape. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, doing a lot of other work sort of on the backside, maybe even, uh, you know, hiring, you know, some, some, some folks that uh, if we don't have a lot of in-depth knowledge, you know, we've, uh, we've engaged some consultants from time to time to sort of help us ramp up. And, you know, it's not, not going to be something that we spend, uh, an enormous amount of time on, but you know, just just to sort of uh, you know get get the perspectives of people that have been living in that industry. Again, given that we're agnostic, you know, we, we feel like we can get up the learning curve pretty quickly. There's very much a law of diminishing returns here. I think you know once once you sort of know eighty percent of the market, you know, to, to get to eighty five is it's probably starting to, to push whether or not it's it's going to be worth it. But um, you know, start to finish, you know, Mike, on all that, you know, in many cases we can get that term sheet in, in under three weeks. And again, something we really you know, sort of pride ourselves on is is being fast and efficient. Um, you know, you, you really get, uh, you know, we're, we're a small team, you know, we, uh, everybody's got a voice. We act with, you know, sort of unanimity um, on the way that we sort of proceed against these things and, you know, kind of all, uh, you know, really lock arms and try to work as hard as we can, as fast as we can, um, you know, on meeting that great entrepreneur and great company. Awesome. Thank you. What, are there any, do you have any sort of preference on, uh, deal structure or kind of trends with how deals are structured. So specifically asking about like, you know, safe notes, convertible debt, equity, uh, any thoughts or comments there? Yeah. um, You know, we, we typically prefer priced rounds, um, you know, just because, you know, we've done saves, we've done converts, you know, to the extent we're going to do those, we like sort of the, you know, the cap to to be uh, reflective of what we think fair market value is today. Uh, we, We don't, you know, sort of like walking in the deal with, you know, sort of a cap that we feel like is, is sort of out of, you know, to today's sort of valuation range. Because as I mentioned before, um, you know, we, we run sort of much, much more sort of high conviction, concentrated portfolios where we're working really, really hard on behalf of those companies, doing all we can to drive value. And, and to the extent that we already have sort of our, our share price, if you will, um, you know, a lot of times we're sort of working against ourselves, right? You know, driving that valuation higher. That uh, you know that we'll ultimately convert into if we're just sitting in a, in a safe or a convert. So, so we have we do have a strong preference for for priced rounds. You know, again, given we usually lead deals and we're usually sort of investing in rounds that are going to be three to five million dollars. You know, most of those are of a stage. Um, you know, where, where they're being priced anyway. But uh, you know, certainly there are exceptions out there. And any other kind of from a I guess from a deal company structure perspective any other kind of requirements like it's always got to be a c corp it's always got to look like this or look like that any anything else you would rattle off really quick great 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 question uh, so i you know back in our earliest days we'd invested we invested in llc we you know there's just some administrative sort of burdens that come with that when you're managing the fund you know we, we've got um you know across our two funds we've got uh you know well over 100 investors um, and an LLC, right? You know, you, you've got a K one each year, so that becomes a bit unwieldy. Um, so today, we, we we absolutely only invest in corporations. I believe all have been Delaware corporations. It's just, uh, you know, Mike, you probably experienced this as well. Just sort of the case law and, and just you know the, the documentation and all is, is really sort of aligned to be in those Delaware C corps. So so almost in every instance, that that's what we're seeing today. 
you know, we, we, we invest uh, always in preferred stock. So, so we, we will never sort of invest in common. I think that's, that, that's, you know, pretty, pretty standard, um, you know, sort of across the venture landscape that, that folks are buying preferred stock. You know, we, we try to be very fair. So, you know, we're, we're not, uh, you know, investing in participating preferred or, you know, there's sort of no, you know, heavy liquidation preferences, just, you know, just, just trying to be sort of very standard. If you look at our documentation, it almost always follows the NBCA docs, which are just sort of the industry norm. I um, mean, what most sort of law firms are going to start with, if we've done saves, it's the Y Combinator save. Um, so, so, you know, we, 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 you know, try to, you know, try to sort of stay, you know, very, very much on, on market with respect to terms. If somebody shows up with a, a tax credit for their state, uh, assuming it's transferable and you, you actually get a chance to take, take advantage of it, does it, does that matter at all? Or is that just a nice to have if it's there? It's, it's a nice to have, you know, again, end of the day, uh, it's not going to be too determinative of, of how ultimately successful companies are going to be. But, you know, we've got a couple of companies that are based out of Canada and, you know, uh, they've, they've had some, some nice sort of incentives from, you know, from government. And you know, we definitely leverage that, um, you know, to the extent that there's, there's sort of, you know, uh, capital available that, that's not going to be dilutive. You know, it's something that we absolutely focus on and, and you know, see the benefit of. Right on. So, when somebody comes in to to do that pitch or you know what historically with their team or if today it's in a zoom call and you're going through the the process what what are some of the things that they're not saying that you're looking for like because uh, to, to me one of the things that's really interesting there particularly when you get them either in a room or out to dinner with the rest of the team there's a lot more you can see about you know dynamics and and how they interact I, i'd love your thoughts on on that most of the time, you know, you're going to have co-founders, right? So we, we obviously invested in, in, in you know, sort of single founder companies, but, you know, in, in many cases, there, there are going to be two or three, uh, you know, sort of individuals that sort of have the, the, you know, sort of the founder title. You know, you, you touched on this, but we'd like to see that dynamic and sort of, you know, how, how they sort of, you know, allocate responsibilities, uh, how they work together, what's the depth of their relationship. Back to that mercenary versus missionary point, you know, we, we, we recognize that it's sort of, you know, folks that have, that have worked together for a long time, that there's a lot of mutual respect, um, you know, it works a lot better than, than people that have sort of come together, you know, just out of necessity. So that's something we're, you know, we're going to be looking at. Um, also try to do what we call sort of pre-mortems, right? And, and that, you know, if this thing fails, you know, what, what's likely to be the culprit? You know, that, that's one of the ways that we sort of like to invert things and, and think about what can go wrong, what, what's most likely to go wrong. And a lot of times, you know, entrepreneurs haven't, haven't really thought through that. And you can sort of see that, you know, when you ask that question, they often sort of struggle. And, and that's, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's because, you know, entrepreneurs are generally optimistic by, by nature, right? Otherwise, they, they wouldn't be sort of wading into this difficult arena. But we really like to, to sort of have them, you know, sort of think through what, what's likely to go wrong, um, you know, because I think once you identify that, you can, you can try to sort of navigate around it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, those dynamics are just incredibly important. Like I said, you know, is, is there real leadership? Does there seem to be, um, you know, sort of a lot of respect for that leader? You know, does it feel like that they, uh, you know, sort of check the egos at the door, that there's not somebody that, that you know, has is, is, is got sort of an ego that could get in the way of, of success or, or just sort of, you know, working uh, collaboratively with the team? Uh, so th- those are all things that we're trying to solve for in, in, in those meetings. And, and, you know, frankly, it's, it's increasingly difficult over Zoom because you just you don't have the ability to read the body language and some of that. You know, we are where we are. We, we've had to adapt. I'm fascinated by the idea of running a pre-mortem. I now want to 
do that for a couple of companies. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. What are some of the most common uh, things that are coming up in premortems? I mean, I'm assuming, you know, like market timing, sales, like uh, there's obviously some running out of capital things that you would imagine would come up pretty quick from the founders. How do you get them to the deeper issues? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, it, it varies by company. You know, a, a lot of it is, you know, frankly, folks aren't thinking through unit economics, perhaps as deeply as, as they should. You know, they, they've got this vision and, you know, they, they think that, well, you know, if we build it, you know, folks will come and they'll, they'll pay you know, the amounts for it that, that we need to survive. But, you know, when you really start to peel back the onion and think about customer acquisition cost and, you know, you, you, know, you have network effects or is there recurring revenue or, um, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, when you really start to you know, kind of drill down into this, you know, often, you often find that, that, that sort of lifetime value of the customer relative to the customer acquisition costs can, can just be upside down or, or at least, you know, sort of be a, in a ratio that it's just not, you know, sort of compelling to, to, to build, you know, a valuable business. You know, that, that, that's one that you often find, um, you know, some folks sort of, you know, start to fall down on, you know, competitive landscape as well. I mean, you know, you use Amazon as an example, you know, if Amazon wants to come into a market, you know, it, it's not uncommon for them to run negative gross margins. And while you, you can never sort of fully predict, you know, how that landscape is going to evolve. You know, we, we do like to be thoughtful around, um, you know, who, who are sort of the logical competitors. You know, one of the things that we've we've historically liked, and, you know, I mentioned fintech and, and healthcare and prop tech, all are sort of, you know, uh, massive markets, uh, in many cases with, you know, sort of, you know, incumbents, you know, that, that haven't been, you know, all that sort of forward thinking. And, you know, what we found that, that often works is, is just to come in and try to take, you know, just a small slice of that pie, come in with a really narrow wedge, but, you know, ultimately start to pry that open. So we like to be really methodical about, you know, is there some pain point that, that, that we can solve for a customer that, that sort of gets us access and, you know, we can sort of build, uh, you know, the company's reputation that, that we can get people, you know, to, to sort of pay, you know, a fair price for that. And then, you know, sort of given what it costs, you know, to, to build, you know, that product and acquire that customer is going to have sort of, you know, compelling margin profile. You know, we sort of often love to start there and then, you know, see if we can't, you know, sort of, you know, break it open, you know, a little bit farther down the line. When you reflect back on your 10 plus years of investing, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made? Um, I, you know, it's uh, one I would say is, you know, don't go it alone. You know, the old saying, it takes a village. So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the call that we usually like to take about half the round and then we'd like to pull a syndicate, you know, alongside us. Um, yeah, that, that I would say is, is a lesson that we've learned. You know, there were some, some deals that we did, you know, early in our careers where we were taking, you know, the, the all or the majority of a round. And, you know, what, what you find is, um, you know, when things start to go sideways or, or sort of not go as planned, you know, it might be that, that there's another member of the syndicate that's got an experience or, or an insight that, that sort of helps get things on a, on a better path. You know, second to that, uh, you know, oftentimes you might find yourself in a position where you need to sort of bridge things out because, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you just haven't been able to generate the revenue sort of on the timeline that you might have expected. You're not quite ready to raise that Series A yet. Um, and, you know, to be able to sort of pass the hat to, you know, to put another couple million bucks into the company. Whereas, you know, if you go it alone, you're, you know, you're sort of looking to, to do that on your own. We, we think that's, you know, that's important. So, so we try to be really thoughtful about that syndicate. 
you know, as, as I mentioned before, uh, that mercenary missionary point has been one that we've learned. You know, we've done some deals where I think, you know, perhaps the entrepreneur is a little bit more mercenary. They were coming into it because they, they thought they might be able to make a quick buck. And, and you know, when the going gets tough, it just those, those folks are, are, are sort of more inclined to fold, um, you know, relative to the people that, like I said, just have that burning passion that are going to just keep walking through that wall, you know, every day. And, and a lot of times, you know, you, you do have to knock your head against the wall several times before you, you finally start to crack it or figure out what works. So, so we, we love the folks who are willing to stay in the game. Um, you know, those businesses that, that have an ability to, you know, to be capital efficient early on until you really do have that product market fit, um, you know, we, we think is also important. Um, so, so I'd say those are some of the most important lessons that we've learned thus far. And then hit me with a, maybe a, a couple of the bright spots. What are some of the things that either you and the team stumbled into or, or moments where maybe you got lucky, but you're trying to find the lesson in that so, so you can recreate that luck more often than not? Uh, what jumps out to you when I ask that? Yeah, Mike. You know, uh, it might it might sound funny, but you know, we've got we've got several companies now worth you know uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, and when we look back, like it was the exceptional nature of those entrepreneurs was obvious from you know from, from the very first meeting. And you know, look, I, I think nearly all of, of the entrepreneurs in our portfolio are. are very, very exceptional, but, you know, there, there are always, you know, a few that, that, you know, sort of stand out from the rest. And I would say when you look at our portfolio, the companies that are, uh, you know, on their path, to, you know, to, you know, to be in unicorns or, you know, some of them haven't raised money, uh, you know, recently, but I think probably already are unicorns, you know, the, the entrepreneurs are, are just really incredible. I mean, you know, they're, they're incredibly bright. They have, uh, you know, very, very sort of unique visions. They have recruited, uh, incredible teams around them, sort of going back to that charisma point, you know, that, that I made earlier. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean to say you, you know it when you know it, but um, there is a little bit of that component to it. And as, as early as we're investing, I mean, you know, frankly, a lot of the framework is it's not so much, you know, trying to determine whether or not that company will succeed, but whether or not that individual will succeed. And, and so I think that's, that's something that, that's certainly been a common thread is just, you know, folks that are, that are just really, really exceptional. Um, you know, second to that, I would say you, we really like trying to invest between sort of durable tailwinds, right? So, so when you see these thematic shifts in society, um, you know, whether it be, you know, healthy foods or, you know, the, you know, doing good is good business, you know, just, just people trying to sort of be thoughtful for all stakeholders in a business. You know, I, I think, you know, we see that, you know, that, that, that actually, you know, has, has worked well for us also. You know, we're, we're not an impact fund, but we absolutely like to invest in those businesses that we feel like, you know, sort of mission aligned and, and, you know, sort of doing good for the planet, doing good for a customer, underserved community, whatever that might be. Because I think they, they are recruiting talent at a higher clip. Customer acquisition costs are typically lower, low, you know, just, just less attrition throughout the ranks. And, you know, again, just, just you know, folks that are really excited about and sort of coming into the office every day and sort of you know, trying to trying to build the service or product, um, you know, has been, has been important. So, so those are some lessons that, that we've learned and continue to try to you know lean on. Um, you know, looking at new investments today. I'm struggling to reconcile. So the you know the but thank by the way, thank you for that. Those are awesome answers. Uh, that's not what I'm struggling with. I, I'm struggling to reconcile the, the the your first answer there, right? Which is, you know, you you've been lucky enough to to find some you know, ama- amazing individuals that, that you can invest in and kind of like, like you said, you know, when you see it in your process, it's three meetings. It's a, it's a couple of phone calls and then previously would have been a face-to-face now, a you know, a zoom session. How are you getting to that depth of determination, whether it's in, 
you know, raw computing power, character, passion, you know, all, all of those things that are coming together. Like, man, I'm just super intrigued at what you're, you and the team are looking at and seeing in those three meetings that can translate that strongly into a, a you know, a buy or sell decision. Yeah. And, and you know, Mike, I, I probably misspoke on, on the, the three meetings, I, you know, that what, what's going to happen is we usually have a very, very strong opinion on a company. By, by that third meeting, I, I, would say, I would say that, you know, we probably met with an entrepreneur, you know, plus or minus at least five times before, you know, term sheets actually signed, you know, days, uh, you know, come by, you know, one of those could have been just, you know, going out for a beer or a coffee, um, you know, again, not, not even talking about the business, just, you know, trying to understand is there a good personal rapport, you know, between us recognizing that we're going to be working a lot with those, those folks, but, you know, we're also, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking to folks in the community. Um, so, so we're validating sort of our impressions by either sort of where, where that deal came from, you know, not a lot sort of gets, you know, to that first call. That's just going to be totally cold inbound. Um, you know, we, we've worked really hard on sourcing channels and, and you sort of validating, you know, entrepreneurs and sort of business models, even before they get to us by people that we trust, you know, the entrepreneurial community, frankly, is, is, is pretty small. Um, and, and so in, in almost all the cities we're investing in, about half the capital we've, we've deployed has actually been outside of New York City and in some markets that are, you know, often off the radar. We've invested in Huntsville, Alabama and Richmond, Virginia and Greensboro, North Carolina, of all places. But, um, you know, we're, we're trying to do a lot of work, uh, you know, as well, trying to trying to get the people, you know, LinkedIn's a great you know, great tool and that, you know, you can see that, Hey, we're, we're linked with 10 people. We're probably talking to all 10 about, Hey, what, what do you, what do you think about mine? Right. Is he, is he exceptional as we think he is? Right. So, so there's a lot of that being done. It's, it's not that, you know, yes, we, we, we definitely trust our gut immensely, but you know, at the same time, we're, we're going to be doing, you know, a lot of sort of back channeling to make sure that we can validate that. I love that answer. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm glad I asked. So you, in there, you mentioned sourcing channels. I'd, I'd love to maybe pick at that for a minute. If you let me talk, talk to me a little bit about where deal flow comes from. How do you do that? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, this is a, you know, venture is a business with, with I think a pretty big flywheel, right? So as I mentioned, that entrepreneurial community is fairly small and, you know, there's, there's a reason that, you know, the Sequoias and the benchmarks and, you know, the best members of the world, you know, continue to see a, a lot of fantastic, you know, sort of deal flow. It's because, They've you know they've invested in a lot of fantastic deals, and those entrepreneurs uh, have have influences on, on the entrepreneur community, and so so people you know can quickly look and say, all right, well, who who led uh, you know this guy or gal's deal? I want to go you know try to speak with them as well. So you know I think the longer you've been at this, it just you know generally sort of the, the more your reputation starts to precede you. Um, we work really really hard on, on on trying to you know sort of be an incredible partner with those entrepreneurs. Um, you know, to, to make sure that, that, you know, when, when they're sort of advising folks or sort of trying to give back to that entrepreneurial community um, and, and folks are saying, hey, who should I talk to about, you know, uh, leading my seed round? You know, the, the third prime is, if not sort of the first one off the tip of the tongue, you know, certainly part of that conversation. So, you know, we, we work really hard to sort of cultivate entrepreneurs to, to be our champions. That, that That's one. Um, we also, again, uh, recognizing that, that we are, you know, going to be taking the entirety of the round. Um, you know, we, we've, we've, we've built very strong relationships with a lot of other venture capitalists, especially those that, that might be a bit upstream, sort of investing, you know, in, in sort of pre-seed rounds. And, and you know, they're, they're thinking about well, who could be our, you know, the, the best partner for the seed round. Um, you know, that's been a good channel for us. 
investing in those relationships with those firms that don't lead rounds, but just like to participate. There are a lot of those firms out there as well. Um, certainly, you know, it's very symbiotic for, you know, for them to kick deals over to us that, that they're excited about. And, and, you know, that company still might be looking for a lead that works very, very well. We also try to, you know, build relationships with incubators and accelerators. You know, a lot of these communities that I said are, are sort of, uh, you know, in these emerging geographies, you know, like Nashville, Tennessee or Austin. You know, Austin's not so emerging anymore. But, you know, we, we try to get to know, uh, you know, the angel investors in these communities, you know, the folks that are meeting with the entrepreneurs very, very early. And you know, like I said, the accelerators, the incubators, you know, a lot of times schools have programs, you know, trying to really you know, sort of put boots in our, on, on the ground and sort of wave the third prime flag, you know, in those communities to make sure that, that you know, when, when folks are looking to raise money or just want to, you know, sort of get some advice, that, that they, they recognize the third prime's out there. So, so it's a bit of, you know, sort of, like I said, having boots on the ground in some of these communities, really trying to sort of work, you know, our relationships and prove, you know, to be, you know, just fantastic partners for folks. Awesome. And then if somebody shows up, and I'm not looking for uh, names here, but I, I am actually curious. If somebody shows up and they already have another investor who has made a commitment, is there anybody on that list who would be like a, a red flag for you where you would say, yeah, if they're investing, maybe we're not a good fit? Uh, I wouldn't say so much a red flag. You know, usually what, what's going to happen is, you know, they, they might have, all right, look, we, you know, we're trying to raise $3 million and we, we've got sort of a million of, you know, sort of spoken for here, but nobody that's come in and sort of, you know, setting the terms, sort of figuring out what, what the valuation is going to be and, and sort of what, uh, you know, kind of what, you know, governance provisions are going to look like and whatnot for that security. So, so you know, we're, we're typically sort of seeing a lot of those deals, um, you know, where, you know, they've got some interest, they just don't have a lead. Um, we, we have done totally deals um, where, you know, that there is a, you know, somebody that, that's actually negotiated the terms and, you know, taken a, a meaningful amount of the round, but there's still a meaningful slug left. And, you know, we can we can still get 10% of the company or something, which is sort of an ownership target that, that we like to you know, sort of uh, do our best to satisfy. Um, but I would, uh, let me put it this way. I, I wouldn't say that there's anybody that, that if we see is going to be a part of the cap table that we're saying, all right, no way are we going to touch that. You know, that being said, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, they're, they're, they're absolutely parties that, that we enjoy working with, that we have immense respect for, and to the extent that, that we see them, uh, you know, sort of coming into syndicate, it, it certainly can have, uh, you know, a positive influence. Awesome. Love hearing that. I don't think 10% is uncommon. I, I hear that number a lot. Why 10%? Why is that the equity target? Yeah. Um, you know, for us, again, we, we recognize that, that we're going to be spending a lot of time, you know, with, with, with these respective companies. And, you know, it's sort of when you do that venture math and you recognize, all right, well, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, get back three to four X net, you know, to our, to our investors over the life of this fund. And you start, you know, sort of working backwards, like, all right, well, you know, how, how many companies actually sell for a billion dollars? Not many, right? To be honest, you know, that's what, you know, we're trying to underwrite too, but, you know, most are going to sell in hundreds of millions of dollars and some of them won't work out at all. So, so you sort of, you know, again, kind of, kind of do that portfolio math and recognize, all right, well, you know, if a company sells for $200 million, probably even taking dilution from that 10%, you know, to get there. And let's just say we're on, you know, we're going to own 7% of that, you know, by, by the time of exit, you know, that's going to be, you know, just 14 million bucks back to us. We work really hard on it. Um, you know, so what's the cash on cash multiple and, 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 you know, just, just recognizing really the driver is, you know, sort of putting our time behind where our ownership is. And, you know, we, we sort of made, I don't necessarily call it a mistake because we've obviously enjoyed working with the entrepreneurs and trying to be helpful, but, you know, early in our days, you know, we, we were sort of, you know, finding some companies we thought were really exciting, 
uh, you know, put a check in, we own, you know, one or 2%. And, and even if they have, you know, a, a pretty nice outcome, you know, sort of the payday, you know, frankly for us, it's just, it's, it's not that big of a check. So, so we really try to concentrate both our capital and time. And when I say concentrate capital, you know, that attendant with that is just, you know, having some meaningful ownership. Perfect. All right, Wes, I am truly enjoying this. I'm positive I could talk to you for another hour, but I think I've already kept you longer than I was supposed to. So uh, let's call this a good stopping point for now. If folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can f- find me on Twitter at, at farmer underscore VC. You know, go yes. the, the farmer turn VC. Um, and then, you know, you, you can find us, you know, on the website as, as well. Um, it's thirdprime.vc and you can catch me at just Wes at thirdprime.vc on the email. Awesome. Well, I I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. Great. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.